Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits from Asia Tech Podcast Stories. I am with Karina Bellin. Did I do that right? Um, the co-founder of W Hub, and you're based in Hong Kong. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. And the spelling was perfect. Unless you want to um, uh, pronounce it the, the French way, Berlin. Berlin. Um, sorry, I can do that. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. No. Oh, now I'm mad at myself. Hi, Michael. <laughs> Now I'm Hi, Michael. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you very much. So what I was saying before was this, is that I, I and I was having a conversation with somebody about this this morning. So I think people have this, what I like to call the fallacy of now. And that fallacy is that when you meet somebody, that they've always been the person that they are at the moment that you meet them. And I think that that is a fallacy. So what I like to do is I like to tell the story of the people that I meet, and I like to find out about it, and that's what kind of what we were talking about before we started recording. It's interesting to me, obviously, all of the things that you're doing at W Hub, and I really want to talk about that too. But before we do that, I'm really interested in how you got to there because that's also fascinating for me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. It's still actually fascinating to myself as well because it was definitely not, you know, the straight line. So, um, in other words, I guess you want to have a little bit of a bio, like um, what I've been doing up to now, and how I ended up to become the co-founder of W Hub, right? Yeah. So, like, where where are you from? I don't even know that. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So I'm originally, I mean, the, the, the short story um, is my passport is German. My parents are German, so I'm actually 100% German, um, though I grew up a little bit in, in the States and in, in the U.S. Um, and then when I um, studied, I studied half of my time in Germany and the other half in, in France, as you may second guess by now, because that's where I found my French husband. Um, so I, <laughs> I have a diploma from the University of Mannheim in Germany, um, but also from the SEC Business School in, in Paris. Wow. Um, and, and I started... Um, working. I mean, we have to go back. I started working in 2000. I'm a pretty old person, actually. Um, and um, and at that point in time, you know, you would, um, you know, you had a couple of choices. And consultancy was one. But if you wanted to go into fast-moving consumer goods or you know more like the traditional uh, manufacturing industry, um, you would start with Procter and Gamble, and that's what I did. So I did nothing really sexy or um, super uh, um, interesting at that point in time. And I, and I stayed with P&G for 15 years, mostly in finance, a little bit in sales. Um, but um, but with that, you know, I worked in Germany, worked in France, um, moved over to Asia, worked seven years in Japan, in Tokyo. And that's also the job that brought me here over to Hong Kong. And um, and my co-founder, Karen, we met in, in Japan already. We, we met back here in, in Hong Kong. She she also works in, in finance or worked in finance um, for JP Morgan. So we had long discussions at that point in time. What was the real finance? Was it, you know, FMCG finance or investment bank? Um, and um, yeah, and we met back here and we had the same um, passion for, for entrepreneurs and helping them to grow and scale their business. And we exposed ourselves to the startup scene. And that was probably the, the point of no return then uh, where we turned this side passion into a business. And that's where we are now. So tell me more. And I'm biased, right? So I lived in Japan from 1990 until the end of 2011. <laughs> Oh wow! We, we probably would have met. I mean, seriously, they're not. They're like two percent of foreigners in Tokyo, right? I'm sure we met on the street. So, so I'm sure. So I said this to somebody else as well yesterday. Like, I'm, you and I were probably in the same room at the same time and just didn't know it. And and if your founder Karen, what's her last name? Yes, Karen Farzan. And she was at J.P. Morgan. I mean, half my friends were at J.P. Morgan, right? Because I was at Morgan Stanley and at Goldman Sachs. So. That's sure. interesting too. So you met on a party for sure, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she didn't like me actually, but anyway. Um, 
So how do you get – so tell me this. How do you get from – Working in FC, FMCG, right? Fast moving consumer goods. And Procter and Gamble is the class. This is the classic company, right? A lot of process inside the company. They know exactly what they're doing from a branding standpoint. And if you're doing finance there, you're probably learning a ton about sort of management accounting and management reporting and all of those types of things that are really important for, you know, running big businesses. But how do you get from there into startups? Yeah, well, arguably exactly the same motivation. Um, and that, yeah, well, it's may, it might, might going to sound a bit cheesy, but no. that's really what it, what it is in the sense that I really uh, truly believe in, in making an impact to people's lives. And I mean, that was the overall, you know, tagline and, and still is the core value of, um, I think, written on, on the P&G walls, which is, you know, making an impact and improving people's lives. And I think that same mission and passion is what actually um, helped me and my co-founder really start that that passion which which was a hobby at the beginning right i mean we we didn't really you know um started off and woke up in the morning and said hey now we're entrepreneurs and let's you know uh, found this business and and scale it up um and i think one of the things though is i always felt within png um that i could operate as a type of an entre of an intrapreneur so to speak i think maybe it also related to the fact that my assignments and my geography uh, brought me sometime into less mainstream um uh, categories or or jobs. I mean, I did the typical paper and uh, laundry detergent businesses. But when I came to Japan, for example, um, I was um, part of managing the, the integration of Gillette, you know, on, in terms of you know, structures, processes from a finance point of view and building up the business analysis and, and, and planning pillar. And again, that was actually, you know, a little bit like jungle where um, you get into um, a new acquired company, Gillette at that point in time, not a small company, right, with no, strong huge. values. Yeah, exactly, with strong values and um, uh, great, you know, um, processes and, you know, um, business strategies and you try to, to integrate. So there was a lot of, you know, also learning by doing and um, and being, you know, one of the, the first, you know, um, paying years in that new structure, doing that in, in a country that is not your home country in, right. in Asia, uh, in Japan. So you work in Japan. So again, so, so Japan within Asia is, is then uh, again, even, you know, a little bit um, specific. So I always felt actually that um, I had a pretty um, exciting assignment with um, big responsibilities and quite some freedom to figure things out and um, at, at the same time by learning all um, you know the structure and the back end and I think that's something I still benefit from today so um, I haven't answered really your question yet um, and which is so that how do you transition right yeah um, and, and, how and, did you, and how did you meet your co-founder if you don't mind me asking no, not at all. So we met in in Japan and then um, in Tokyo. And again, actually, the, the expat community isn't isn't that big. Um, really. And uh, yeah, not really, right? So um, the funny thing is, uh, yeah, we met um, at an at an event and uh, just connected, and then had you know um, a personal um, connection, um, and uh, that actually translated into a friendship. And then when uh, when Karen left Japan, which was a year earlier um, or two years earlier than me. Um, we afterwards met back here in Hong Kong and we stayed friends and that connection was there. So we just, you know, um, caught up on, on, on our um, friendship and, um, and continued and then did something that normally people tell you not to do, which is um, found a company with, with a friend, friends, right? Yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. Never with friends and families, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, by, I was by now say, people, I have to say, people yeah. say People say that, right? They, they say don't do it unless it works. And then sometimes it really works well, I think, so... 
Exactly. I mean, I think that is really the, the point. I mean, if it, if it doesn't work and that, you will figure out very quickly it can become ugly. But on the other hand, yeah, if you do it with friends and family and it works, I mean, that whole uh, trust um, foundation that you have there and we basically have, you know, said and told us everything we had to said, <laughs> say and tell us already before, right. then there are, you know, no surprises. Again, there is, um, you know, a huge opportunity for just, you know, divide and conquer because you can trust each other and you're kind of like on the same length and and one of the things I do have to say, though, and that's pretty unique with, with our friendship and also our business relationship, the other reason why you shouldn't build a business with, with friends or family, or particularly with friends, is because you're too similar, right? I mean, very often you connect with people that are very like-minded. Right. Um, and it's not that we're not like-minded. We do have, you know, the same passion and, and, and drive, but the very complementary in, in attitude and skill sets. And, I mean, we both did finance, but as I said, she was an exotic trader and I did FMCG with, with marketing teams and sales teams, etc. So it was, you know, very, very different and they're very complementary. Um, and that, that works pretty well so far. So tell me again, because I keep interrupting you. So you both realize that what, that there's a big and a great and a fast moving startup community in Hong Kong, but that it needs some organization or some structure or you just are like, are you both investors as well? How did, how did that happen? Yeah, no, absolutely. Now I'm going to come back to your um, question from the beginning, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm too chatty, you just no, no, me. no, no problem no. at all. <laughs> this is beautiful. Um, no, so actually, yeah, as as most entrepreneurs, right? I mean, you start um, on you, you start up with 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 a problem that you see that you really feel passionate that you want to solve, um, and that is exactly where we were coming from. So we had friends that were. Um, entrepreneurs um, tech entrepreneurs so you know startupers and and they were desperately looking for resources to to scale their business and um, at that point in time you talked about you know the um, the startup community we're now in 2013 it was not a vibrant you know really. fast growing startup community in Hong Kong no I mean Hong Kong if you would need to um, if you would ask me to put a date on when things really started to go exponential was um, beginning mid 2015 so so when, when we actually started off, everybody thought you were crazy. You're like, what are you doing? You want to recruit? And for, for what? For startups? I mean, seriously, did you have a look at the market and at the opportunities? Um, yeah, so there was this, this um, again, you know, making an impact and helping, um, you know, startups to grow and scale their business. At the same time, so the, the biggest issue that we saw was really recruiting um, and getting talent um, because in Hong Kong, you see a lot of um, startup founders, especially at that point in time, were potentially career switchers or people who had, you know, financial means at least to get, you know, to a prototype and get the business up and running. But then you need a team to execute on it, right? So the biggest need at that point in time was really manpower um, and the interesting thing is we also felt very passionate on the talent side because um, again I worked through in, in different regions um, and, and countries um, across the world and I think that need for people to have more flexible work arrangements to have maybe work that has a bigger impact or you know work that allows them to break out of a certain expert role and became more broader or make a change to their career path that was something that I felt um, was really increasing and right. so there was a match to make right between entrepreneurs and startups desperately looking for talent and and also the talent in terms of their own expectation and needs um, changing so we launched WHub only with that job sport at the beginning 
um, and uh, to your point, so what, what did we what we need to do? It was actually to open up the ecosystem and draw resources in because at that point in time, nobody really wanted to work for a startup. There was no hype. There was no buzz. It wasn't cool. It wasn't exciting. And it wasn't even known. And I think that was the key fact, right? Um, so we said, okay, let's change that. The first thing we have to do is provide more visibility, attract more resources, right. and with that, you know, help the ecosystem grow. And from there, we also then scaled our services and connecting startups not only to talent, but also um, to other startups to synergize and collaborate, to acceleration program, to, you know, government-backed programs, to investors, to corporates. We're more and more active in connecting, you know, corporates um, with, with startups um, so that they can innovate together. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit, you know, how everything started. So let's back up again a second. You said something changed in 2015. That's when it sort of hit a, you know, a um, an inflection point. What was it about 2015? Were there was there one event somebody got funded? Was it, I don't know, GoGo Van? Was there something that happened in 2015 that changed everything? And if if there was, what was it? Yeah, it, no, absolutely. I think it was not one single event. I think it was probably like the, the perfect storm in a, in a positive way. So, yes, there was more um, money that was um, uh, flowing into the scene. So you started also having more mainstream media reporting right on um, on startup funding. You mentioned about Gogovan. Actually, Gogovan and Lala Move received funding at the same time. Um, at that point in time, it was still called Easy Van. Yep, um, I remember. Uh, yes, you remember that exactly. And then, um, yeah, uh, Lala Move um, and uh, and Gogovan reporting, I think, like a 10 million rounds nearly at the same time. And you had some other um, startups, some of them that don't unfortunately exist anymore, like Lamplight Analytics, who um, received funding in, in, in that year. Um, that is certainly one thing. Um, the other thing is um, also in 2015 was the first year that the word startup made it into the policy address of the chief executive. So, um, again, the government also it was already active, right? I mean, Cyberport exists um, be, be, since, uh, and don't name me down on that, um, even before 2013, let's put it that way, right. um, and Hong, Hong Kong Science and Technology Park, etc. I mean, the government was already active, but but became more active and was clear that, you know, they, they needed to make a stronger um, statement and maybe try to to get more um, support and attention to the scene. The Start Me Up Festival launched, um, you know, the... Uh, um, one or two years before, but again, started, you know, having that recurring um, awareness um, and, and visibility. And one of the other big facts that is always mentioned is the fact that RISE, so the Asian sister of the Web Summit, you know, came um, to Asia and, and, and decided to host the conference here in, in Hong Kong. So the first year of RISE was in, uh, in August 2015. Okay, so that's a big, um, that's a big deal. Why do you... You bring up a really good point. Why do you think the team from Rise, right, which really at the time had nothing to do with Asia, right? Why do you think that they came to Hong Kong as opposed to Singapore or Shanghai or anywhere else? You know, they didn't come to Bangkok. Why was why was Hong Kong the place that they came, you think? Was it all the work of Casey Lau? Like, did Casey do a whole bunch of work convincing them or was it just the right thing to do at the time? No, I think actually, I think first of all, you know, you talk about, you know, some key players and, you know, KPMG was, you know, the supporters of the Web Summit from the very early, you know, starts even in Dublin, right, when they sponsored like yep. 40 iPads and that was the first time the Web Summit took place. So again, KPMG was, was um, you know, um, a big driver here in, in, in Hong Kong and together with, with Casey. I still remember actually that evening and we were also at that dinner, um, you know, Karen and me when, when Patty came into Hong Kong and, uh, 
was I think on this tour about thinking, okay, where do I, you know, really want to go? Is it Singapore? Is it Hong Kong? And I think, well, at the, at the time of that dinner, it was already decided that he would be coming to um, to Hong Kong. And um, and when when you look at it, I think it's it's a combination of several things. So um, first of all, already from a macro perspective, um, Hong Kong, you have all ingredients in Hong Kong to be a startup hub or even the startup hub of, of Asia in the sense that, um, you know, we already have over 320,000 SMEs. You know, it's, it's, it's a place that was born out of entrepreneurship. It's one of the easiest and safest places to do business and to set up business. Um, it has all the connections to the West and, you know, even to China and, and the rest of Asia. You're in, 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 in five hours flight of half of the world population. You're next to Shenzhen and the manufacturing hub. So in itself, for startups itself, there's a huge, you know, benefit on choosing Hong Kong as, as a launchpad. It's small enough to test. Um, you know, and that's what you really need to do at the beginning before you can start scaling your business. Right. And again, you can scale out of Hong Kong. So, so first of all, I think um, the infrastructure and everything, the the the, the overall macrocomes are are here in place. The second thing, it was still a very young ecosystem, and it was somehow a white space on the startup map. So Singapore already had Echelon running and other conferences, or you know, I, I think even Slash probably was was there already before. So you had a couple of conferences that were already running in Singapore. Right. So basically, um, and that's what you know, a lot of also acceleration programs and things that came into Hong Kong saw was it was easy to get visibility. You had very limited competition, and you had all the attention on you. And and I think the fact that also you know the, the government you know supported and and other players and the private sector came on board is because it created this extra visibility and hype here here in Hong Kong, and it was easier to do than than in other places. China, of course, it's, it's always the same thing, right? I mean, if you know how to do business in China and you want to do business in China, then go to China. But that's for a lot of people that come from the West still the problem that they don't know how to do business in China and they're worried about, you know, going to China without knowing um, and, and being able to control then afterwards. Yeah, it's really interesting for those of us that have been in Asia for years. I mean, I'm almost on my third decade, right? Like China doesn't seem to be so strange to me. Do you know what I mean? Like it just seems like another bunch of cities with a really fast-growing economy and you know has its own challenges and stuff it seems to me to be a very domestic market but it engenders no more fear to me than indonesia or vietnam or anywhere else i think all of these things are addressable but i think from the western from a western perspective it must look like you might as well be on mars yeah, no, exactly. Especially if you, 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 you know, it's the first time you really come to this um, part of the world. And again, if it's also about creating a, um, a conference that, that still is international. I mean, of course, it has an Asia focus. Um, and, you know, there's, there's collision in, in the U.S. and there's right. the Web Summit for Europe and, and there's even in Bangalore, right? There's a... Um, um, what is it called? Surge. Um, but but again, I mean, still, it is a tech conference. And, you know, the first year, um, you know, we had speakers and international um, speakers come in. And we still had, like, this year, Rise, um, uh, Gary uh, Gary V was here. So you still want to keep that international aspect, which, which I mean, argued per definition, startups are meant to go global, but it's meant to be international. I think that very domestic still stamp that, that China has is probably one of the reasons why why some people then still prefer to um, not directly go into, into China. Yeah, I mean, the Mobike and all these sort of bike companies are one of the things that's taking these companies from being domestic into really international. WeChat will do the same thing. I mean, Tencent already has, and if you look at Alibaba buying assets in Southeast Asia, that that change is taking place. And 
frankly, it's very exciting for me to watch, particularly being in Southeast Asia. And I don't think it's going to end. I think there's a secular change taking place, and I don't think I'm alone there. But again, it's hard for me to understand the Western point of view on this because I don't live there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so you started W Hub. What is does W Hub stand for? Something. It definitely stands for something, and the W comes from Y. And we were really um, very uh, passionate and are still big fans from Simon Sinek and his famous TED talk about starting with why, absolutely the golden circle. And, yep. and you know, that's where you then also understand our, our tagline um, about startup passion. And, you know, um, uh, Simon, he coined this very, um, you know, famous sentence. If, if, if you believe what I believe and we team up, you know, magical things will happen. And, and that's what we say is the most attractive asset an entrepreneur has um, to attract any type of resources to his um, startup, be it or her startup, you know, be it talent, be it investment, be it other startups to collaborate. It's really his, his passion, his mission, his crusade, how we want to, you know, change and impact the world. Um, and so it's, it's about, you know, why you do things rather than um, what you do. And, and that's when you look, when you come on W Hub on the platform, what we really um, set out to do and what we encourage our um, startups to do is sign up um, in, in a way that they showcase their mission and passion, that they talk about the team and what what um, what they want to achieve um, rather than just talking purely about your product and your services and have job postings uh, purely on job descriptions. Right, but I mean, the W Hub, as you mentioned, is much more now than just a, um, a job posting. It's a, It seems to me to be trying to build a full ecosystem around the startup community, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, one of the things that we realized very quickly is to be able to help startups to recruit, it was important to create more visibility. So again, just to draw more resources into the ecosystem. Now, we have been very lucky that when we started off very quickly afterwards, uh, we had other players. I mentioned the government, I mentioned mainstream media, I mentioned more and more interest also from corporates um, to, to support that. Um, but but that's something that we realized. So becoming, um, you know, the, the, the tech in Asia of Hong Kong was part of what we needed to do to also fulfill our mission on getting quality talent, um, apply for startup jobs. And then you learn by doing, right? We also realized very quickly um, that particularly in a very young ecosystem, and I always have to mention that, that everything what we do um, totally makes sense to to, um, to the place we're operating in, uh, and it may not have worked that, that well in other parts of the world. Um, but another thing was a very young ecosystem, so making sure that startups connect with each other to synergize and collaborate, to swap services, to support each other. Um, there was um, a need of bringing know-how and knowledge in, and again share that in a very genuine way um, that was another thing so again something that we enable on the platform that startups can you know virtually connect before then um, you know connecting connecting even offline or having business relationships so you know there's a bit, little bit of a LinkedIn for startups in there as well um, we realized that with the growth of the ecosystem, um, it was important to understand what's going on. So we have a whole event page where we um, source and centralize um, events that are going on, workshops, so that people know where to go, where to connect. And that translated into something that we started, that we launched um, one and a half years ago, which is a white paper on the Hong Kong startup ecosystem. It's called the Toolbox, the Hong Kong Startup Ecosystem Toolbox. 
Um, it runs in its third edition, and it is basically the Bible of who is who and what is what and what are the acceleration programs and the active VCs and angels and who are the community builders with their LinkedIn address and Twitter handles so you can reach out. So, um, yeah, we very quickly really um, understood that um, startups grow best in a thriving ecosystem. So we kind of like support the entire um, ecosystem and, and want to make these meaningful connections as fast as possible. So I want to go back to Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, right? This is a book mm-hmm. that was, what, published in 2011, if I remember correctly? Could be. The TED Talk looks pretty was, funny, yeah. <laughs> the TED Talk was 2009, so almost 10 years ago. Oh, okay, okay. The book came afterwards. See, okay. Yeah, because wow, I don't even think yeah. he knew. I don't even think when he gave that TED Talk. I, mean, I think he was just testing, right? And Okay. I'm okay. curious. You, you've read the book, right? I read parts of the book. I have to be very honest and transparent. Um, I, I, I read snippets through it, and I was, um, I'm part of, you know, his... Um, um, his newsletter and um, you know his um, uh, website, you know where you can where I go from time to time and, and right. read updates. So I'm gonna, yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit some ignorance here. Um, I have not read the book, but but I actually do have it sitting right in front of me because I just took it off the bookshelf. And I'm just, <laughs> Amazing. What yeah. is it about? And and a friend of mine, so a very famous, um, you know, sort of startup CEO, Tiwa York, who I'll give credit for this. Um, you know, recommended the book to me and another friend of mine, and I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. But what is it about this "Start with Why" um, that inspires people so much to sort of continue to reference it and to name companies after it, and then to sort of strategize around that whole concept? And and like after you talk about that, I want to talk about this tech and Asia thing because I think that's I think media, as you know, that's what I do. I think it's really important. But can you just talk to me a little bit about? What what's the inspiration for you and you know for Karen as well around this whole concept of start with why? Right. Um, so first of all, I think there's this whole um, starting of of why, um, and I think there are afterwards you know other books that he has um, talked about you know why why leaders eat last, etc. So I think he has an understanding of what drives and, and motivates people at the same time from a point of contributing within a startup or a company or the society, right? Um, which then, you know, obviously the other way around is starting with why was, you know, his famous example about um, why Apple's, um, you know, would, would, would sell and, and, and win against Microsoft is because they were selling a revolution and not just computers, right? So so right. I, I think, um, so, so this whole theory, and, and if it's purely the starting with why part, um, because what I was referring to is you have this whole starting with why, you have this whole... Um, leadership um, um, philosophy that he's translating into the new world and he says why why um how do millennials actually, you know, uh, behave, react, um, and, and contribute? Um, so there's way more than just, you know, his, his TED Talk now sure, about sure, starting sure. with why. But, but coming back to that point, I think one of the big trends that we see um, in, in, in society from a consumption point of view and just the way we live is uh, we're going over from, um, you know, um, a society that was based on, on products and, you know, where, where ownerships and, 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 and products, improved products were really important um, to um, a society where it's more about experiences, right? Um, and that is so true with the way that we consume, right? You Rather than owning your own um, car, you probably rather have a Uber ride where you can connect, um, you know, your, your Spotify and then just have, have fun and you don't have to bother about parking the car or insurance or repair and all that stuff. Um, and there are plenty of examples 
examples out there. I'm just taking a, a popular one, right? Um, the way and how we work and want to work, right? That experience becomes more important than the job role or the job title or the company you work for. So I think all this um, is is really true, and it very pretty much resonates that it's more about you know the the why you are doing things and the inner values, uh, making a genuine impact. I think that's something that resonates a lot with with the modern society. I, I agree. I mean, I work with somebody who is their entire philosophy is based on that and their entire company is based on, you know, working and living with a purpose. And yeah. whether you call that purpose passion or preoccupation, which is what somebody called it this morning when they were talking to me, I think it's generally the same thing. And I remember... <clears throat> You'll laugh at this, actually. Um, when I was at working at Deutsche Bank in Tokyo, I really didn't care like what my title was. And my boss in New York actually said, Michael doesn't care if he's called the Prince of Azubujuban. As long, <laughs> as, long as I knew that would make you laugh. Um, Absolutely. You know, as, I love the restaurant in Azubujuban. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we, could have a, we could have an hour conversation about that or more for sure. Um, for sure. Where did you live, by the way? Oh, I'm very lucky. I'm in Shibuya, so very close to where you know the things were happening at night. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I was in <laughs> actually the, the the PNG office was very close by to in Tokyo Opera City in Shinjuku. Oh, nice. Shinjuku. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. So you went the other way. I mean, I was in I was in Aoyama, but that's because I was working in Odemachi, right near the in the financial center or whatever. Oh yeah, that's, that's a little a, bit more high end. Yeah. I don't know if it's high end or not. It's a, it's, let's just say that's a different conversation. So I want to get back to W Hub because it seems like what started off as a way to sort of post jobs has now turned into like a com almost a complete not, and I won't say contained because with all of the relationships that you're building and maintaining, it's definitely not self-contained, right? But it is an ecosystem in and of itself. It seems like. Do you also talk to angel investors and? Do you also mentor startups? Like, how does that whole process work? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, it, it's definitely not self-contained. I hope it's not at all because still no, it, it needs like to it. grow more. Exactly. It needs to grow more. I mean, sometimes the, the way that um, that I describe it is kind of like a, a virtual accelerator. And again, I mean, that's our mission and passion, right? Help startups to accelerate, I mean, to grow their business. Um, and um, and basically, yeah, what, what we are saying is we're we're doing that in a way that we want to make these connections happen. We have been lucky enough to, to grow, you know, from from the center. I mean, we started off, there were five co-working spaces and probably two or three events a week. Um, now we have close to 100 co-working spaces here and we have two or three events per day or per even day. more. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we grew really organically and um, I think we kept our really objective um, center point and, and with that, you know, um, have a big network, right, and, and, uh, and can make these connections. So this this is what, what we do when I say we walk the talk and just uh, basically if we can just make connections happen um, and with that, you know, create win-win situations, we don't have to run our own acceleration programs. We don't have to no. do it by ourselves, right? And ideally when you, when you, you know, uh, leverage is over the platform, you can go at the, at the speed of light, right? And you don't have to, you don't have to worry about uh, real estate and having offices and things like that. So um, with, with that, I mean, coming back to, um, do we speak to um, investors and et cetera? I mean, investors, be it VCs, family offices, angels, and venture arm of corporates, they're part of an ecosystem, right? So, they are. And, and they're a crucial part of an ecosystem because, yeah, we started off with, with human resources, right? But but monetary resources are the another big ingredient you need to scale your business, right? For sure. And some business models need more venture capital than others. 
um, but it but but they're crucial for sure. So they're part of the ecosystem. They're part of our network, um, and uh, and they're part of what will help this ecosystem grow. So definitely, day in day out, uh, we do. We're um, strategic partners with, for example, the Hong Kong Business Angel Network. Um, we are we're obviously um, you know need to to cater to that part of the ecosystem as well. Um, I presume you work with Start Me Up Hong Kong as well. Absolutely, Jane and Charles and I, I listened to Jane's podcast by Good. the way. Yeah, wonderful. I love it. Good. She's you know, as for a Scottish lady, she's amazing. She Irish. I, I can't remember. <laughs> you were so teasing on her um, on her accent, absolutely. That's okay. I mean she brought it up. I wouldn't have mentioned it. That's not my again, that's not my game, right? But she brought it up and yeah. I just thought it was so awesome. I like see, I like the inconsistencies that that engenders in you know, the, the misunderstandings of and we talked about it, right? You heard me say this. She looks one way, and yet she's not that way. So it, it's the perfect example of people having preconceived notions just based on the way you look. And yeah. they're wrong completely, and that's the perfect example of it. And that's why I was joking around with her, because I love that. Yeah. No, absolutely. And you know what? The other thing, I think it, it's really a great example of one of the things, and I'm not sure if you have planned to talk about it, but that we really have to you know, mention is that Hong Kong is so diverse. I think it's one of the most diverse ecosystems in the world. And, um, and it goes also to, to you know, um, nationality um, of, of the founders or of the people in the overall ecosystem. And even, you know, look, um, the, the, the Hong Kong government, right? So um, when I meet with Charles, um, I, I speak French with him. So right, um, right. It's, it's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just again, to give you perspective, my first time in Hong Kong was July 1990. So... Like, wow. Hong Kong Tower wasn't there. There was a Hilton Hotel. Like, I could talk to you about... Yeah, you said you were old. You have no idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now I feel so young. <laughs> you should. Um, but you also mentioned tech in Asia, right? Which I thought was an interesting yep. sort of segue. You do run a blog as well. Yes. And you seem to publish quite a bit of um, content there. Well, thank you. Yeah, I hope. I mean, that's the purpose. <laughs> yeah, but you're also branding it too. So you do the five in five minutes, so you, I mean, which I think is really good, right? Anything that has sort of a catchy title to it should get people's attention. But, you know, what is the goal of the blog in the context of the ecosystem and the sort of startup support and startup passion that you've built and are continuing to build, right? What, what is the purpose of the blog from your perspective? Yeah. So again, the purpose of the blog is um, actually twofold. Um, basically, killing you know um, two flies with with one stone. So one is um, really part of our mission of helping the startups to showcase themselves. Just again to be able to attract the resources they need, right? Um, so what you will see is even in the five and five or in in the interview series that we run in uh, on our blog with startup founders or investors. By the way, you mentioned about it. Um, or other um, uh, ecosystem stakeholders um, is really about um, helping them to, to promote um, themselves and their cause and, and with that, again, um, be able to, to attract meaningful connections. Um, the second thing is um, about uh, more on a macro level, providing visibility, um, just making sure that people know what's happening um, and with that, you know, build and gain more 
trust in the ecosystem. I, I still remember and I still have people come to me and say like, oh, yeah, but Hong Kong, you know, that's a, that's a small ecosystem. Or, you know, sometimes investors would say, yeah, okay, fine. Then, you know, if I want to invest, I probably have to go to, to Silicon Valley or to Israel or, you know, invest somewhere else. And and there is still a lack of, of know-how and information and visibility on what is actually happening here. And and Hong Kong was coined one of the fastest growing ecosystems um, in the world uh, by the Compass report, right, in 2015, that that actually still continues. And um, and you're like, okay, fine. I mean, if you looked at the ecosystem three years ago and now, you would be surprised how much it has changed. So we still feel um, that there is a big need on, on you can call it education, you can call it visibility, you can help make sure that people, you know, see the opportunities and, and take advantage of them. Yeah, I mean... If Hong Kong is small, and I, I've been accused of saying bad things, not not really bad things, but of not being, you know, a big uh, cheerleader. I, I love Singapore, right? Again, my first time in Singapore was the end of 1990 as well. So same thing. But, you know, if you want to call the ecosystem in Hong Kong small, the population of Hong Kong is 7 point something million people, and the population of Singapore is 5.6 million people. Both of them have relationships with China. Both of them have <clears throat> um, a massive finance, so lots of money there as well. And with Start Me Up Hong Kong and all the things that, you know, your teams are doing, there's also sort of governmental and infrastructural support there for startup ecosystems. And there's no reason why. Look, I want healthy competition, right? Graham and I, so my partner at Asia Tech Podcast, we talk all the time is what makes a great startup city. And I think Hong Kong actually has a marketing problem, right? In the sense that Singapore gets all the press, but I think Hong Kong is catching up really quickly and I think people like you are sort of facilitating that, if that's fair. Yeah, true. I mean, on the other hand, and I think, you know, um, we mentioned about the, the, the podcast that you had with Jane, right? And you talked about that. I think, yep. first of all, I think there, there's a huge benefit. Now, I'm talking about meaningful connections, right? And there's yep. a huge benefit of connecting different ecosystems with each other, right? Agreed. And uh, Agreed. Well, you talked, yeah, you talked about Singapore. I mean, are you one of the, the most obvious um, connections for Hong Kong is Shenzhen, right? And we can talk about the, the vibrant um, ecosystem in, in, in Shenzhen. And with that, then you already have, you know, um, your, your, your foot in, in, in the China door, right? Um, so, so, first of all, I think that is really important to um to highlight i think um i agree um singapore is doing a very good job on on marketing and and sometimes you know you have founders that that come and say well i always hear from singapore and they say well i always hear it's so easy to fundraise in singapore well i must be the only stupid guy in singapore not being able to fundraise (laughs) (laughs) or or maybe your company is just not worth it you know i hear this all the time i have to interrupt you for a second i hear people say all the time like it's so hard to fund my thing and sometimes my response to them is Maybe your thing's not fundable. Yeah, no, but I was saying it actually on the other way, where where there is a lot of marketing to say it's very easy to fundraise in Singapore, and then if you talk to to some of the Singaporean startups, I mean, it's, it's not it's not that easy neither, right? So again, right. I think is there a better marketing, a better press, um, a better visibility? I I think I would agree. Now, again, I think on the other hand, for for Hong Kong, um, we have to see also that that focus on on startups, and if you come, for example, from an investment perspective, is it is it is a new thing. And it is something that might have more interest now because also, you know, switching costs are getting lower or let's say 
you know, other um, investment opportunities, be it real estate, um, um, et cetera, are, are not maybe that, um, you know, on, on a huge growth um, anymore as they used to be, right? Um, or, you know, just banging on on being, you know, the financial center of, of, of Asia is maybe not enough anymore. So people are kind of like, okay, what, what's the next thing? Um, so they were contented with Hong, where Hong Kong was and they didn't necessarily need it, the, the tech stamp, right? Yeah. Um, and with that, when you look inside the ecosystem, it created a very interesting um, feeling and also code of, 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 of honor, um, if you want to coin it that way, um, from the startups to say, you know, well, you know, when, when in Hong Kong, when, when you build your startups, you really build it from from scratch and, and you build it on your on your own you know um, strength and force and and um, and hacking so it, it's not something that is um, uh, supported by subventions or artificially um, you know hold <laughs> on the lifeline because the money was thrown at you you're right. kind of like more you're more the cockroach rather than 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 the unicorn that dies the following year so there's a little bit this this code of honor say like well you know if you make it here um, it's a great torture test and then you make it everywhere else yeah I mean I, I and again I don't want to sort of say anything negative about anybody I think all the ecosystems do things some things well and some things not so well but I do think that there's a, a funding an overfunding issue which means a leverage issue in Singapore which I talk about often so this is not the first time I've mentioned it and let's be fair it has nothing to do with the conversation you and I are having but I do think that there's an overfunding and an overleverage um, problem in Singapore. Too many things get funded, like you said, and that means that some companies that do die really quickly. And it makes it harder for the companies that are actually great to get funded, like you say. And you're right. In Hong Kong, because it is harder, it means that the people that are doing it either have to bootstrap or just hustle more. And that makes them a stronger company, I think, in the end. So I, I like to see that playing field even out a little bit. Um, funding should be hard because it shouldn't be available for everybody. But I, I, it'll be interesting for me to watch the way Hong Kong continues to develop, particularly now that there is and there are more ways for those companies to get visibility. Visibility is a word that you've used that I really like a lot, right? And when we, when we went to companies in Silicon Valley to talk about investing in Southeast Asia, that was the word that they used. We don't have enough vis visibility to what's going on in Asia. So it's a common theme, yep. I think. No, absolutely, and I fully agree. And I mean, I mean, I would argue obviously there's there's a right balance to um to to strive and and, and to strike, and probably um yeah, you, there's never really balance, right? There's either too much money or too little. Um, yeah, I think it would be great to see still a little bit more um you know uh, money than here in in Hong Kong, and but it's it's getting there. And again, I think one of the things I, I really um you know always stress is the fact that if you look into company you know into Hong Kong with with a snapshot of from the history, right? Um, you probably don't really do justice. Uh, again, all the in, in ingredients are here. You know, we have the second highest density of high net worth individuals in the world in the after world. Singapore. Yeah, yeah. yeah, after Singapore, exactly. Um, and um, so, so so money is here. I mean, it's also one of the you know highest R&B offshore um, uh, places, it's um, offshore R&B, um, you know, um, places, uh, Chinese investors, when they invest, you know, um, just going over the over the footstep is obviously um, something that they also feel more comfortable in. I mean, from the whole money side, it's here. From the infrastructure side, as I mentioned, it, it's a service-based um, industry and um, uh, over 300,000 SMEs with, with all the support that you need. Um, so I think all the ingredients is here. And if you switch on um, the, the, the startup um, uh, switch, things will go very fast. And that's what we have proven already over the past 12 to 18 months. 
uh, or 24 months by now. Right. And you, you also, you made a really good point earlier too, which I want to make explicitly. And that is one of the issues that Hong Kong had was that it already had a deep and strong personality um, and, and sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, with the existing businesses, whether it was real estate or global finance, right, or even manufacturing with its really strong relationship with Shenzhen, which has been there forever, right? Um, and it meant, that, exactly. it meant that people that wanted to have a job or work actually had a ton of other choices. So, you know, I talk a lot about allocation of resources and asset allocation. And basically what you said earlier was it's now getting to the point where people are not tired but tiring of making the same old investments. And what that means is that they're looking for something new that's growing faster, that's more interesting, that's more exciting, and that actually ends up being in the startup space. So I think you're going to see a move from an investment perspective in Hong Kong shift into this if you haven't seen it already. You know, and guys like David Chang, who runs MindWorks, right, one of the original yeah, investors in, in Lala, um, and Gogovan, like, people are going to look at that and say, okay, wait a second, you're telling me that I can invest in a company at, you know, X million dollar valuation and turn it into a hundred million dollar valuation or more company. I think I'm going to start looking into that space. I think that's already started to happen. And again, what you're doing by creating media and jobs and a place for people to gather that community is just accelerating that process. No, absolutely. I, I fully agree. And I think one of the points I want to highlight, and, and in particular, you know, we, we talked about, you know, um, wealth and, um, you know, active VC funds and family offices and angels. I mean, they, they are already investing into startups. And, you know, obviously a famous example is Horizon Ventures, right, and, and did a lot of investments outside of Hong Kong and, and also started, you know, investing into Hong Kong, right, and into startups in Hong Kong. And, and just to be fair, there also needs to be a certain maturity of the market here, right, on, on the startups and themselves right. and a certain confidence that it is able to scale out of Hong Kong because obviously the Hong Kong market in itself you mentioned 7 million people uh, you're not going to you know become a 1 billion dollar company um, by serving just the Hong Kong market so I think there also needed a little bit of um, proof of, of concept of you can uh, again leverage Hong Kong fantastically to, to test um, your your product and your service and, but then also scale it and, and with that you know again the money is here the infrastructure is here the closeness to as you mentioned manufacturing when you're in that in that um, um, area, uh, all is here. So um, I think things will will move very fast. Um, and I, I just realized one of the other things you know that you had asked me before is in terms of things that that we do to encourage that. And you always come back to the visibility and and also the the, the human resources, which is which is crucial. Um, I think another point is where where Hong Kong is fantastic, and that's something we leverage is there is um, you know really the opportunity to um, provide you know that online to offline connection. So we do um, you know uh, do a, a virtual acceleration in the connections that we make, but um, we also um, um, basically act as, as as mentors of acceleration programs, of, of sponsors of acceleration programs or, or partners or, or co-working spaces, uh, run events, promote events. Um, because, you know, having these um, um, networkings and encounters and know-how exchange happen also on a physical level um, in, in a small city like Hong Kong is, is crucial and it's a great opportunity and that helps a lot. Yeah, and so I guess the last question for me is what do you see, now that you've sort of developed some media on the writing side, you know, the connectivity with both having investors at all stages, it seems, but also startups, how many startups do you have in your community? On the platform, we have over 1,600. Right, I was going to say, so 1,600 companies or more. Um, what's the future for you, Karen, and the team that you've built there? 
And do you want to talk? I, I didn't want to get into this because we don't really have a lot of time, and I don't want to focus on this. But I, I love the fact that actually the founder of these this company is two women, right? I think it ends up actually being really, <laughs> no, but I know you. We didn't I'm so you glad. I'm so glad you didn't ask me if W stands for women. No, no, no. I, mean, I wouldn't. Like I didn't think so. No, no, no. That was <laughs> that's and, the question we always get. But I didn't ask, did I? Yeah, thank you. No, you did not. I did not. I ask really that. appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the WH was the thing that interests me, which is why I actually yeah. took the start with Y book off the off the shelf behind me before you answered, because I thought maybe that's what it was, right? And Absolutely. Anyway, so I didn't want to talk about it, but I do like that fact. I wanted to point it out. And you notice I pointed out at the end, not at the beginning, right? Because I think it's really important as well that somebody at least notes it, right? In other words, you can build this massive thing. And again, for, and I was having this conversation earlier. I like to build diversity into all of the sort of ventures that I'm in, that I'm associated with from the beginning, because you cannot bolt it on later. No, absolutely. So. And we had a reverse diversity issue for a long time within the team. So we, the the first you know people we recruited were were, were girls and, and women. So, um, but we do we do have um, yeah male male employees now in the team but i mean just again i think it's a great example and i like it the way that you pointed out under the diversity umbrella in the sense it just talks again for hong kong um in terms of the diversity yeah. um of the ecosystem one third of startup founders um are are female now arguably um i think even hong kong if you would take all smes because the the hong kong um census and statistic departments um is really great has a lot of information and they don't really classify startups out of the smes but if you take all smes i think hong Hong Kong is actually um, the second most diverse place on earth. Um, awesome. in, in, yeah. Um, and it's also true in terms of the age of the founders, um, nationality. Um, I'm German. My co-founder is French. And yeah, and we're, we're running a startup out of, of Hong Kong. Okay. So and that's the way it totally should be. So for me, like one of the reasons why I didn't want to ask about it is because I don't want it to even be a topic of conversation. I want it to be so I want it to be the new normal, right, where th nobody even notices the fact that that's the way things are. Does that make Great. Sense? Does that make I sense? love it. I don't know if I totally. Said that anyway, look, that's I think I think that's I think that's a great place to end. And this has been awesome for me. I hope it's been really good for you as well. Um and I hope we can get you back on the program. I'd love to meet Karen as well, by the way. Oh, you definitely should. Absolutely. Um, and I think uh, one of the things um, that, that I would really love to, to talk about is in, in a couple of months, again, like how far uh, we have come as an ecosystem here from, from the time we talked today to, to then and just again, to highlight that I think uh, change is happening very quickly. It's still a great time to come over here to, to Hong Kong. And again, if you need any any uh, any information or tools, I'll just put a shameless plug. Just download no, do the it. toolbox. It's for free. It's for free. Yeah, so yeah. it's really meant um, to make sure that, you know, people connect. There will soon be a fintech version that comes out, um, a fintech toolbox, because um, one of the, the buzzing um, sectors here in Hong Kong is is fintech Makes next sense. to smart city and, and robotics, right? Um, so, and there's a lot of things happening here in the fintech area. Very exciting. I mean, we're in the news also in the context of ICOs and, yep. and the, regulat the regulators moving, HKMA, SFC, you know, opening up sandboxes. So, there's a lot to come. I think it's just the starting point and Hong Kong's going to explode. Um, and I wanted to um, um, exploded. I'm very confident. Um, again, that, so that's an awesome, lovely. an awesome way to end. So, Karina, <laughs> thank. I'm going to try this again. Karina Balan, yeah, Balan. Oh, wonderful. Oh, I'll get it. I'll get it better. Um, it was, a, it was a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Michael. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Okay. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.